Right, our portion for this afternoon is uh, Luke chapter 14 we're in now. This uh, section, the first 24 verses, has uh, been headed in our uh, brochure, our, our headings that we've been given, as don't miss out because of earthly preoccupations. Don't miss out because of earthly preoccupations. So looking at this Luke chapter 14, the first 24 verses. I was just going to divide it into two. Um, The first section we'll look at, the first 14 verses, is looking at, again, Jesus' uh, reaction um, to the Pharisees and his reaction to the invite uh, to a Pharisee's home and what he taught from that experience. And then the second part is the parable Uh, of the great banquet so we'll just read this together first of all and then we'll make some comments about it so Luke chapter 14 reading from verse 1 one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee he was being carefully watched there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you gave a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, 
I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So this chapter begins with a, a, a familiar situation. It's the Lord being invited to the house of a Pharisee and it's also to do with the Sabbath. We talked about this last week and how the Lord, in fact, he's done this about five times. This is the fifth time uh, where he has been challenged about his activities on the Sabbath. And the grace of the Lord Jesus comes out because you can almost imagine yourself if you're in that situation of getting extremely frustrated at the hypocrisy uh, that was just seemed to be pouring out of the Pharisees. And once again, he's walked into a, a trap that has been made by the Pharisees. And of course, it's, it, it's a trap not, not only uh, so blatant, um, it, it's almost an insult. <laughs> um, one that you might even think a blind man would have seen. But of course, being the Lord, he saw it coming very easily. He's being invited, and there in front of him is a man who is, it refers to has got dropsy, which is a, a sort of retention of uh, fluid in, in, in the body. And uh, they've obviously set him up. And the idea is they want to uh, uh, be able to accuse him. And uh, if they can get him to do something that they considered to be against the law of Moses, then they could go and accuse him to the rulers and therefore they could uh, get rid of him, which is the whole purpose of it all. And the Lord sees it coming a mile, a mile off. And he immediately just asks the question. And it's, uh, it's, again, it's just lovely just to see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ there. He, he goes for them right away and he asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they can't answer him because they don't want to answer him because they don't want to be accused of whatever answer he gives that they would be attacked of trying to either support Christ or to set themselves up for the Lord to knock them down quite easily because the Lord's knowledge of the law of Moses was second to none, of course, <laughs> because he was God. And uh, he was involved in the creation of that law. <laughs> and so, you know, for, for them to attack the way they have is an insult. And it's, it's sad to see it, but it just, again, it's the setup of the situation of the Jews that the salvation was brought first to the Jews. And here they are, the leaders of the Jews, the lawyers, 
the Pharisees, the ones who set themselves up as being the righteous, perfect people, were uh, really uh, attacking uh, the person who had created the law in the first place. So, <clears throat> so he's um, turning the tables on them, but all he gets is silence. And of course, that silence sometimes speaks for itself. Um, they could not answer him, and they were humiliated. So rather than humiliating Christ, um, they were humiliated themselves because the Lord went on to ask them, if you get a situation and he, he chooses another situation different from the one that we spoke about last week, if your son or if your oxen falls down a hole and it's the Sabbath, are you really, are you really going to wait till the next day to get them out? Of course not. It's ridiculous. And that was just showing them up as how ridiculous they were. And uh, they couldn't answer him. So I think then, um, when they remain silent, uh, the Lord then just takes the man, heals him, and sends him on his way. Which again is just showing them up. This man had obviously not been invited to this uh, luncheon. He was there, set up uh, to try and trap the Lord. And once he's healed him, he goes away. He's not one of the guests. So it's, again, it shows everybody just exactly what the game they were playing. I think it's uh, from our reading of this, and it, it, it does encourage us in as much that we are, we are dealing with the Son of God. And... Um, we are dealing with the perfect man here and to just uh, enjoy his actions and his sayings does give you a nice feeling <laughs> that this is a man that we follow and he's perfect and uh, he couldn't be caught out. He's come uh, to fulfill the will of his father in heaven and he's going to follow um, this plan of redemption, this plan of action. And there was nothing was going to prevail. And as Satan's firing all these difficulties in front of them, these hurdles, these obstacles, then they are just dealt with. Because he's ready for each one. And this is just another one. The next um, part of that was that when some... Um, he went on to criticise them about what he saw happening in this um, house. I imagine it must have been quite a large house and the Pharisee was probably quite wealthy and there was probably lots of guests, it would appear that way. And they had brought the Lord in there to maybe set him up uh, to try and demean him or belittle him. And the, the Lord immediately goes on the offense, offensive because what he sees is something that really um, disturbed him, that they were, they were separating. I don't remember, when, something that stuck in my head when I was learning uh, history classes at school, that in Britain, many hundreds of years ago, they used to, when they had banquets or meals, they used to put the salt in the middle of the table. And if you were prominent and a worthwhile person, 
you got to sit above the salt. But if you were seated below the salt, you were a nobody. And so everybody would come in and cram and get, get a seat above the salt. That was what I learned. I remember learning this in, in history. And of course, this, this is what was happening here. Is that it was the same thing, but it was a case, try and get to the top of the table, where that's where the host would be. And uh, if you were closest to him, then you were more prominent and people would look up to you and you're more worthy. And uh, the poor person who would have no worth or considered of no worth would be just slotted in at the back, at the bottom. So maybe that's where the Lord was chosen, <laughs> was told, you said you sit down here. Um, the Lord immediately um, humiliates them, I suppose, by, uh, by pointing out to them that this is all wrong. This, your attitude should not be about your own self-worth. Your attitude has got to be about looking at um, yourself as of no worth and putting yourself at the lowest place so that pride and ambition is something that dishonours God. And now the teaching for us in that is very clear. It's not just about a table and where you sit. It's about your whole attitude in life. That if, you're, if you have got that attitude of pride and ambition, that is contrary to the will of God. But that is the teaching of the world. That is what we are taught at school. That is what we are taught when you go into any uh, business life, that um, you've got to promote yourself. You've got to climb over people to get to the top. That's what life's all about. It's dog eat dog. And that's this, the world. It's not what the followers of Christ should do. Because Christ was never like that. The perfect man, the perfect um, human that's ever lived um, who had every right to take the top place had every right to declare himself as supreme and better than everybody else what did he do he was the one who got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples and i think he's teaching here to the um the host of the, the meal, that this is the attitude you should have. Um, because the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And that's what's going to happen. And the Lord is teaching this. And so we, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should take this on board, because this is the teaching of Christ. And this is the attitude that there should be from us as to our attitude to others who are less fortunate. It's not to lord it over them. It's not to try and show our, uh, off our wealth or our greater uh, education or whatever it might be. It's not, we should not be elevating ourselves. What we have, of course, is from God anyway. And uh, we should recognise that, that we are where we are, we are what we are, because of God. He's put us there, and therefore we should be grateful if we are in a, um, a position um, 
where, where we can, we're happy and able to benefit from it, we should certainly not look our nose down at those who are less fortunate than us, which is easy to do and one that we can easily fall into um, quite readily. <clears throat> In Matthew 5, of course, we have the Beatitudes. You've got the blessed are the poor in spirit. And that is humble people. They shall be blessed. So the humble people will be blessed. And blessed are the meek. And the blessings are, I think, could be seen here on earth. But they will certainly be seen in the, in the future. And that's the promises of God. You will be blessed if you're humble. You will be blessed if you're meek. So if you're struggling and, and striving to get to the top, then the, the strong likelihood is it will happen in this earth that you'll be humbled. You'll be humiliated, maybe. And if it doesn't happen in this earth, it will certainly happen in the future. So just switching now to the, the, the parable of the great banquet. Um, this the invitation, this is very similar to Matthew 22, where you get the... the a very similar uh, type of uh, par- um, what my train? <clears throat> yes, Matthew twenty-two was also uh, spoken of by the Lord, and this one is got a lot of similarities, but it's not the same. It's different. This is not, the, the, the Matthew 22 was about a king and about the uh, wedding of his son. And that was very much focusing, I think, on the, on the future, the marriage of the lamb in heaven and who the guests were going to be. This one here is just, a, let's say, an ordinary man, uh, a wealthy man, uh, inviting a lot of guests to a meal. To a banquet. I think the, the procedure that they, they followed at that time that I, I read about was that the invitations went out in two, two parts. The invitations went out first of all that uh, I'm inviting you to this banquet and it will be on uh, some future date. Can you come? In which the people would then respond and say yes I can come to that. And then when it was prepared, the, the owner of the house or the, one, um, the host would then send his servants out and say, right, the, the, the meal is ready. I'd like you to come now or I'd like you to come tomorrow or whatever it might be. So there was two invitations. So the, 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 the picture really is of the people who had already accepted. Then when they were told, right, come, then the excuses went out. And uh, the excuses were there. Um, Come, everything is ready. And the one said, um, I've bought a field. 
well, I suppose today we could say, well, it's like I've just bought a new house. So I've got a lot to do in it, can't come. Or I have just bought five yoke of oxen. Well, I've just bought a new car and I need to go out and try it out. And uh, I've just got married. Well, that speaks for itself. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuses that were, that were given, um, which did nothing but annoy and upset the, uh, the man who had put out the invitations. It's almost as if he'd said, you've already said yes, you've already agreed to come, and now you're worth squirming and working your way out of it. I think this is a picture, you know, of, I think I mentioned yesterday, last week, something similar. It's, uh, this is a picture of Israel. That the Israel, when the, God gave his um, message of <coughs> salvation, to Israel. They were the ones who were in a unique position. They knew God. God had dealt with them. God had taken them out of Egypt. God had looked after them. He had given them his law. He had promised that they would belong to him. They would be his. And they were being given the first opportunity to come to this banquet, the banquet of salvation, coming to Christ. And the, they were rejecting it. And they had the, the benefit of knowing God. Because God had dealt with them since way back. He had called them out. They were his. They belonged to him. He had taught them. He had nurtured them. He had loved them. And here they came to the point when the, the food was ready. It came to the point when they had already accepted the invitation. And they said, right, now you've got to come. Now you've got to come to me, to Christ. And then the excuses came. And these excuses you can see for yourself. You know, that the Lord is painting this picture of just the... the when the Lord Jesus Christ was here, they didn't want him. Although there were crowds that followed Christ, although there were many of them wanting to see his miracles, although there were multitudes coming to witness marvellous things, when it came to the Lord Jesus Christ going back to heaven, after his death and his resurrection, there's only a handful of people there's only a small group who have, if you like, taken up the invitation to come to Christ. And that's a sad picture of Israel. And so it's like God is saying then in that case, you go out and find others. And that is him going out to the Gentiles. That's us. Go out there and then invite them to come in. They were a group that are not as knowledgeable. They hadn't had the first invitation. But I want my place filled. And so they go out. And you see, God's response to the apathy of Israel is 
his mercy towards the Gentiles. So, in some ways, we could argue that we're, we're, we're grateful <laughs> for the apathy of the Jew. Uh, because the result of it is, um, your house I leave unto you desolate. It's not as if it was the Lord, of course, sort of making a snap decision and, and changing his mind and changing direction. He knew this was going to happen. And so he was ready for it. But this is the Lord teaching this, that despite all God's grace was showing through in it, the result was wrath. You know, and I just like to read in Second Corinthians chapter five. It refers to really just about the, the picture of the servants going out into the highways and the byways, going out um, to look for people to come to this banquet, which is a picture of coming to Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eleven reads. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men that we are his, we are his, sorry, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. And then verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So you see the. You see the connection there. That uh, as the. The owner of, or the one who was putting on the great banquet, is sending his servants out to go to all over the world to reach out to bring people in. And these were people who were willing to come. And when they came and they found that they still had room, was to go out further afield, go out into the country and look and fill these places. The grace of God evident there in making sure that these seats were filled. Romans 11 and verse 11 reads, Again I ask, did they stumble so us to fall beyond recovery, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So again, it's just the plan of God given to the Israelites. They've rejected him. He knew they would reject him, so he's gone out to the Gentiles, and we are the recipients of that. We are the ones who benefit greatly from it. I think, you know, if you read in Revelation 7 and 9, that they, you get the picture of the multitude that are going to be coming to the Lord in heaven. That multitude is the, those that he's gone out 
to the highways and the byways and constrained to come in. That is something that um, is marvellous in our eyes. And this is the Lord painting this picture and this parable that he's, he's teaching, that he's preaching to these people. They were these talking to the Jews. You've rejected. You've said, had excuses for not coming, not coming to me. Therefore, <coughs> I'm going out and I'll bring in others and they'll benefit because of it. I think, uh, you know, the, the story of Jonah is, uh, is always a good one. Stuart was mentioning that in his prayer this morning that uh, when Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, and we, you know, we all know the story about uh, being swallowed by the whale and, and eventually learning that through death and resurrection, he was the one who was going to go to Nineveh and he would preach. And the, the result of that preaching was that the whole place uh, asked for forgiveness. And Jonah was upset about that. I think he, um, he felt these, they, these were an evil people. They, had, they were not Jews, they were Gentiles. They were people who uh, were, were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. And uh, Jonah's feeling with them, and they would just be destroyed. They're not Jews anyway. <clears throat> but they repented, and God forgave them. And they came as a city, 120,000 of them. And the Lord forgave them. And Jonah's response was that, you know, uh, was anger. And the Lord's response to Jonah was, What right have you got to be angry? What right have you got to be angry? And I think it's our attitude, I think, you know, should be to the responsibility that we have of reaching out, the responsibility we have in making sure through radio, through the internet, through many means, we are putting the word of God out to the Gentiles. Um, and many are turning, and it's, it's lovely to hear particularly of the successes in other countries that we don't see in this country, where those, the Lord said of the people of Nineveh, that they didn't know the right hand from the left hand, <laughs> indicating that they were not a, an educated people. They were not a people who um, were studious and understood the laws of God. Uh, they were a simple people. But in total, from the king down, 120,000 of them, thousands of them, uh, repented and asked forgiveness of the Lord. You see in that today, that we're in a countries that are better educated and are more affluent, but there's not an interest in the things of God. But if you go to countries where, dare I say it, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, they're repenting and they're coming to the Lord and the Lord's blessing them. Are we angry? We have no right to be angry. As the Jew has no right to be angry, neither should we. We just uh, 
submit to the Lord and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So I trust some thoughts there for you to take away and uh, chew over and enjoy. Shall we pray?